The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program Afternoons with Mike Heard Daily here on The Shepherd. Well, it is the day after, and uh, a lot of people, uh, their heads are spinning this very day about what happened in the midterm election and the results are, are still coming in. Uh, just as Dave Zanotti predicted, we would uh, have uh, a lot of wait and see yet. And speaking of Dave Zanotti, I've got him on the telephone right now for today's program. So happy to have him back on. Dave, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Mike. It doesn't seem like we ever got off the phone. It, the last couple of days have just been a blur, so I hope people will be patient. Because to be current, you have to give up sleep. So hopefully we'll be able yeah. to do this well. I know it was a late night for me. And I'm, I'm uh, as I mentioned to you before we started this uh, this program, I'm, I'm still waking up. But you never, it sounds like you never went to sleep, Dave. Well, yeah, based, based on doing time zones and multiple radio outlets for different communities. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's just say we had a nice nap. <laughs> wow. Well, you so accurately predicted the other night, uh, the other day when you were on the program with me, that you believe that uh, when the evening came on the midterm election night, that we would still not know a lot of these races, uh, that the system somehow has morphed into this wait-and-see game, and we're being told, I mean, I just don't get it. With the advent of technology that we have today, uh, you know, like you said, we can put men on the moon, but we can't count ballots electronically uh, the evening of the race. Uh, it's, and it's because of these new uh, things that have been added, right? The mail-in ballots, uh, absentee voting, early voting, all of these things seemingly has muddied up the water. Yeah, Mike, yeah, we're, we're in a transition, and that transition is awkward, and it's going to be around for a while. Part of putting all the focus on, on concerns about voter security and integrity is that people at the bottom of the process who are our neighbors, who are volunteers, who are people who are working the polls for a stipend and giving up time and energy and effort um, the process, you, you, you can't put more burdens on them at, without more money and more manpower and expect faster, better results. Now, that's the first thing. There's other things about our electoral processes that we've got to work on as well. In some ways, we'd be better off to go to the old punch card system because that counts fast and very, very accurate. But we're all in love with technology and big forms and computer feeds and all that stuff. We made this far more complicated than it needs to be. But if we're gonna put a focus on integrity, people who don't wanna make mistakes are going to go more slowly. Then in addition to that, the mail-in ballot process, going back the whole way to Jimmy Carter, who said this as before anybody else was saying it, um, the mail-in ballot process is easier for mistakes and fraud to happen. So it will automatically go more slowly and more people are going to mail in. And the Republican Party refuses to accept the idea that elections begin in October and that they end in November, but more than half the vote is always cast before we get to November. But those votes can't be counted until we get to election day and a mail-in ballot takes a long time to count. So this is what we're into. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So we're in the transition. We can get faster. We have to be more patient. The key is that we get it right. And so far, um, it looks like the pressure on voter integrity is causing everyone to be more careful about getting it right. But that's going to take more time, and that frustrates us. Now, do you believe, having said that, that voter integrity was, let's say, more prevalent uh, that our election was oh, actual. Sure. Okay, you feel that that was accomplished? 
gosh, Mike, by 1030 in the morning, I had six reports from around the country of the the most minor glitches. I mean, I thought like uh, that, that we were going to find out who failed to mop up their floors in uh, in the middle of, of Wisconsin. I mean, at the polling place, it, it, people were watching everything. That's good. That's okay. good. So so but but if you, you know, again, come on, we got to be fair, people are people. If I'm going to have to watch every move I make, I'm going to move more slowly and more carefully because I don't want to make a mistake. Well, so what... that's, that goes with it. And that's what we were seeing coming. And I think that's what a lot of the naive rhetoric about uh, fraud and stealing and all that stuff, the uninformed rhetoric, people who don't know the law and don't know how it works, just chirping what they heard on the Internet. Uh, but, but when we get to the real world, we are making progress. Well, everyone, conservative outlets and otherwise right now, are really throwing a finger uh, at uh, pointing that finger at President Trump because a lot of his uh, very strong endorsements did not make it through the night. Well, I'm an independent. You know that. I do. As a person of faith coming into this process seeking for our country to return to the founding worldview and principles that gave us our liberty. That's our primary objective. Um, and I know you are a man of profound integrity. I, I'm going to, to, to do my best to tell you that all arguments are the results of differing expectations. I learned that a long time ago from a, a, business, a Christian business consultant named Bob Beale. I paid a lot of money to go to the seminar to hear that. And I wrote it down and I never forgot it. Mm. All arguments are the results of differing expectations. Uh, The expectations that were set by President Trump and by the Republican cheerleaders and by the echo chamber of the conservative media, both on cable news and on talk radio, excluding your program, Mike, not talking about you. Um, the, The expectations that were set were for a wave, perhaps tsunami. But when we crunched the numbers from the beginning, we could see a possible change in the House, perhaps plus five, but we could never see a path of certainty for the Senate to change. We never saw a a wave of tsunami. And our feeling was, historically speaking, for the Republicans to be able to turn the majority in the House in just two years after being surprised and shellacked in the last presidential election would be a very significant accomplishment, but everyone bought the red wave, which turned into a red mirage. And Mm, there's a lot of people this morning who should be held accountable for their words and their false expectations. Now that thought about expectations, you know, that is, uh, you get a hold of a narrative and if you join the bandwagon and it's a narrative based on, like you said, a mirage, not a real set of numbers that can be crunched. Uh, that can really just start looking like a big area of irresponsibility, doesn't it? it it's just unfortunate, Mike. Now, there's a bigger, deeper problem here, and I think we need to get right to it. And that bigger, deeper problem is this. We talk in all of our rhetoric, and I just got done writing about this and releasing our monthly update for November. Um, and we talk, this is the theme. The, the, we talk about control of the Congress. We have completely conformed to the spirit of this age in this language and divorced ourselves from the purpose of, the, of our Constitution, the language of our Constitution, and the understanding of the way our government was to be built. John Adams and George Washington warned us that our system was never designed to end up in a place where the federal government would be a war zone between two competing political parties Mm -hmm. who would be seeking to control the actions of the Congress. The framers put the control of the Congress in the hands of the voters. That's why they made frequent elections at two years. That's why they've made the Senate uh, representation to come through the state legislatures, not the direct vote in the beginning, because they did not want Congress to be driven by parties. They wanted Congress to be the people's house, the place where the people were represented. And when your member of Congress left your town to go to the capital city, they were there speaking for you 
not for a party. Right. Now, we have completely lost that. And now we have a system where the two parties inside the capital city control a $6 trillion annual budget. And that's the inside establishment game. Donald Trump talked about the swamp. He talked about the establishment. The worst part of the establishment is the two parties. Mm. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting for a minute we need a third party. All right, the two we have are killing us. What we, need <laughs> we don't is need another one. <laughs> to constitutional government where we, the people, are certain that our representatives are going to keep their oath of office, not just take it, and then hand themselves over to the party bosses, whether Democrats or Republicans. It's the biggest racket in town. It's the biggest racket on the planet. It's the biggest budget that 535 people debate over every single year. And it might, might, I've done this for a living. We are being scammed. So when we talk about who controls the House, we've already lost the battle. The control of the House should be in the people of Orange and Osceola counties when they send their representatives there. They should be able to know and count for sure that their voices are going to be heard. Mm -hmm. Not that that representative is immediately going to go, hand his credentials to his party bosses, and then do whatever he's told so they will guarantee his reelection. Mm. Wow. Now, these people in Orange and Osceola counties, these people that uh, we've seen in Florida, that Florida seems to turn uh, toward a direction that I think we all thought the country would. Why is it that Florida had such a night as what we did with a, a stamp of approval on Ron DeSantis? And the, the, uh, just generally speaking, a lot of races, especially when you look at the South Florida around Miami uh, with the Hispanic vote and the black vote. Well, now we get to talk about something that we both love dearly, and that's the state of Florida. Uh, and, and Florida has had a tremendous influx of people from around the world who become Florida residents. And the majority of those people are being captured by the slogan, freedom lives here. Yeah. The model that Florida went through by refusing to capitulate to the cartels of the drug companies and the CDC in COVID, the ability of Ron DeSantis to take a stand for freedom has set a dramatic tone in this state. The legislature has followed up with that tone. And there is a different attitude here. There is a hopefulness in Florida that you don't see in other places. And Ron DeSantis has capitalized upon that. So there is a different spirit in Florida right now. And the people that are coming to Florida are different now. We've got a lot of exodus of Californians, for example. Yeah. And you know where they're going? They're going to Arizona and Nevada and Colorado. And that's why those states that used to be conservative states, those that was very Goldwater territory, mm -hmm. have now become left-leaning progressive states because the people who fled California brought their politics with them. Yes, I, they're they left-leaning. lower yeah. taxes. Yeah. But, but in Florida, we've got a different spirit here. There's a spiritual renewal going on in Florida. There's a renewal of, of, of thought and principle. This is a good time and good transition for the state of Florida. We need to make the most of it, not for politics, but for righteousness, yeah. for loving our neighbors and for building solid communities that our children can see that you don't have to be the slave of a federal government and a federal institution, that freedom can live here. And you can get up and work and make a living and have a shot. Now, Florida's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it's getting better. It's getting better, and it's getting uh, clearer to see that people who are moving down here are not, let's say, changing the trajectory of the vote the way that you're talking about out west. Uh, I I agree with you. I, I grew up watching uh, Barry Goldwater, and and thinking about that was a red state. And you know, this is so incredible to me that a state with a population of of Nevada is it's still a toss up out there. Uh, with all of the population of Florida, were you surprised that the numbers came in as early as they did last night, which was shocking? It was like 8.15 or earlier that they <laughs> called Ron DeSantis as the winner. And this is the state of Florida, which has a greater population than New York, for crying out loud. What in the world is going on with our voting process where that's possible? Because all of these other scenarios, we had early voting here. 
We had some mail-in voting here. Why is that, Dave? Well, we've got a lot of grown-ups in Florida that want to do the job from the bottom up, do it right, and do it well. And they're to be commended. The credit there goes to the people at the bottom, in the libraries and the polling places, mm -hmm. and, and the early voting people who've done their job and done it well, and who are counting these votes. And, and to the General Assembly, the state legislature, that is actually affording a mechanism for this level of accountability. The whole way up the process. Thanks be to God, we need to continue to support those people and to commend those people. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it now, again, you know, we're a little candle that shines very brightly because it's so dark around us. Mm -hmm. There's not that we have no darkness that we have to overcome in Florida. We still have a lot of stuff we got to take care of. All right, a lot of stuff we got to get worked through. But let's face it, you know, when you're comparing what's going on there to everywhere else, there is a shining difference. Mm -hmm. There is. And last night, now I know that you have an office and you spend a lot of time in Ohio. That's where the uh, your your big brand new center is located in Ohio. And last night, uh, there was a big victory for a Republican in Ohio. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but my memory tells me that Ohio has long played a big role in presidential elections. Isn't that right? Well, Ohio has changed in the last 40 years, and it's the direct result of conservative action organizations across the state that have taken uh, bringing this state back uh, to, to its senses. Uh, when we started 42 years ago uh, in, uh, in Northeast Ohio, where our organization began, Ohio was a blue state. It was a deeply held union blue Democrat state. And, and uh, it was dominated uh, by forces that were going in that direction. And Ohio has changed. Uh, now, there's a little bit of overrating going on about what happened in Ohio in the election yesterday, because number one, the Democrats ran no substantive candidates and spent no substantive money in the governor's race. And I just heard some talking head today on radio saying that Mike DeWine, uh, his big 25 point victory carried J.D. Vance over the finish line mm. uh, for the Senate race. I got to tell you something. That is absolute nonsense. Tim Ryan, the Democrat, who was a credible candidate and had a, some money, uh, he actually was going around the three days before the election telling people that it was divine, DeWine voters that were going to bail him out because they were voting for Mike DeWine and then voting for Tim Ryan because Ryan is more moderate like DeWine. Mike DeWine run by, ran by default. Most people never even knew the name of the person that he ran against. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't even know. It was a throwaway race. The Democrats spent no money there because they knew they had no chance. Um, and J.D. Vance tur turned around and won um, big. He won, ended up winning by eight points um, against Tim Ryan. So that race wasn't even close, though. Every person I listened to, I listened to all of the major talk radio that I could and news radio the day before the election from Ohio. And every one of them said in a race that is absolutely too close to call. And, and, and Vance ran away with it. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot out there, and it's being proved today that a lot of what we hear is not what actually happened. My guest for this segment, and we'll be back with him for the rest of the show, Dave Zanotti. From the public square, I'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back on the line with my friend Dave Zanotti, who is now traveling to a TV interview. I tell you, Dave, you spend a lot of time and you give so much effort for the cause. So appreciate and respect what you do, my friend. Well, it's a privilege to be with you, Mike. And I, I asked you if we could talk early this morning and you adjusted your schedule as well. Um, this is what we do, and this is important. I know there's a lot of people across your listening audience right now that are waking up saying, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And I think it's important to provide that information so that people don't go to the depths of discouragement 
um, and because we're in this, this is a long fight, Mike. You know, for the first time in a long time, voters in America spent 10 months talking about Congress. That's unusual for us because it's boring. And, and, and we, we want to get on with our lives. We, we want our government to work and then us to go ahead and be able to work. <coughs> Excuse me. And we have to go pay for this government as well. So um, we're, we're busy, uh, but we kept our focus. Our focus was on Congress, 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 Congress. And, 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 and now you have a big election. You see significant changes, but it's not as easy as you thought. A lot of people say, well, man, I really put out effort here. I really cared about this. I prayed about this. I even gave money to certain people around the country that I didn't even vote for. I mean, I mean, I, and I didn't get what I wanted and I should be discouraged. Well, let me tell you something. Righteousness is hard work. Good civil government isn't just something you do every two years. And, and people are going to be discouraged because a false expectation was set up mostly through conservative media your program and network excluded. And a lot of people thought it was going to be an easy romp. They got giddy in their pregame rhetoric and found out this is a lot harder than you think. Now, let's talk about that for a moment, because that is a big a statement that conservative and what a lot of people have thought could be some of the uh, outliers, let's say, some of the posts along our life that uh, they could listen to, you're saying that there was a a line, a narrative, if you will, that was talked about, and that narrative would have used terms like a a red wave, or someone said a red tsunami, and none of that, none of that has happened. I mean, here we are, I, I know you said we wouldn't know the outcome of the Senate, but on the morning after, the outcome of the House is still somewhat in doubt, although many people still are saying it's going to go to the Republicans. But uh, was this narrative, is this malicious, or did they just believe in a, in, in kind of like wishing upon a falling star? Well, that's, that's a really good phrase because it's cheerleading and echo chambering. Uh, and it's done by people who, that we, who are irresponsibly repeating narratives from the decision desk type folks or the polling type folks or from channels and networks that are far more interested in promoting a political party and an agenda than they are telling folks the truth first. Now, I'm not opposed to free speech and to radio stations and networks and television networks and cable news people being cheerleaders. They have every right to free speech. But we have to really take all of this with a grain of salt and and be willing to look hard at the numbers and and listen to experience uh, and and to remember where we've come from. Now, the key is these races are almost on a midterm election. These races are almost impossible to nationalize. In other words, it's impossible to turn it into a contest over which breakfast cereal we're going to eat on the on election day. It's A or B. That doesn't happen. Uh, for example, there are dynamics in the Georgia election race that no one talks about in the national media, even in the state media, uh, in regards to how voters are responding to the two candidates. That's a fascinating race in and of itself. Everyone looked at the outside from the Pennsylvania race, and they saw Fetterman uh, in the black hoodie yeah. and, and, and said, well, that's impossible. There's no way in the world any state in their right mind would elect someone in, with that attitude and that physical condition to the United States Senate. And it's shocking to me too. Did. I, they did. And you ask, yeah. and you ask yourself why. Well, one answer is because the people of Pennsylvania are all a bunch of morons. Excuse me, I got a lot of family in Pennsylvania. I know they're not morons. Okay, there's a reason why these races broke the way they did, and they're contained inside the state narrative, not inside the national narrative. And people just believe what they hear on cable news and on certain talk outlets, and they trust that they build their expectations on it, and then those expectations are, are bad. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to get me and you and everybody else in a lot of trouble. Uh-oh, here it comes. Right? But somebody's got to say it, Mike. No one has talked about the fact that Pennsylvania was being asked to elect Dr. Oz, who's a fine man, and I have no issue with, but he's a Muslim. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Nobody talked about that. In a super tight race, asking Pennsylvanians to put their first Muslim in the United States Senate from Pennsylvania is a step. Were people ready to make that step? No one talked about that. Mm -hmm. No one polled that. No one in the exit polling. And in a razor sharp edge of an election, did that make an impact? I'm not suggesting for a minute that it should have. I'm just saying people are people. Did anyone stop to think about that? I would have heard about it, but only in a couple of instances. And you know, you're right. I mean, when it comes down, there's there's still, because of 9-11, because of just some of the attitudes that a lot of people have uh, about uh, those that would be of the Muslim faith, uh, it is different than what uh, they grew up with. And you're right. When you, when you get change, when you get somebody that's from a different uh, perspective altogether, uh, as conservative as Dr. Oz sounded, that could be a factor, right? Well, in addition to that, Pennsylvania is not a purple state. Pennsylvania is a Democrat state. Look at Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. These are no longer places where uh, there, there's there's a lot of, of swing voters, where there's a lot of Reagan Catholic voters, where there's a lot of Reagan Democrats. These, these places have changed. The population has changed. The left has spent massive amounts of money in these urban centers to get people to vote the way they want them to vote. It's not the same game that we had 20 years ago. Do any of these Republican pundits know that? Have they spent any time there? Do they understand the dynamics of it? So when you're talking about a Senate race, Senate races are so unique because people send their senator. I mean, the, the, the Senate race in Tennessee and the Senate race in Georgia are, are going to be as different as, as night and day. And, and so there's dynamics in every state that are not captured into a nationalized agenda. But the conservative cheerleaders wishing for the wave, wanting deliverance from Biden, thought that if they just amped up the rhetoric enough, maybe they'd convince everybody that the Republicans were going to win, it wouldn't even be worth going out to vote if you thought otherwise. Well, that sure didn't work in Pennsylvania. You know, it didn't work. And, you know, I, I have an analogy that I grew up with in Indiana where basketball rules and reigns as the king of everyone's kind of fancy. You know, there was an, a, a saying in Indiana that if a team thought it was going to win to the point of getting cocky, uh, I, I go back to that line from Star Wars where where Harrison Ford looks um, at Luke and says, don't get cocky, kid. And, you know, there's this tendency, if you're a basketball play, uh, team of great ability and maybe great record, there's a tendency to look at a Cinderella team that comes into your place and go, ah, we're going to beat them with one hand tied behind our back. Are you suggesting that people are acting like, or people are saying, or maybe, again, based on wishful thinking, that there was going to be a red tsunami when it, it, it wasn't ever that kind of a close race. No, it wasn't. And like in Pennsylvania, they disregarded the very contentious primary where Donald Trump came in and made the decision that it was going to be Dr. Oz. And he threw the numbers, his followers threw those numbers over. Maybe they left the best candidates waiting outside the room. Wow. Uh, and, and, and I mean, these things happen. Um, cases can be made like that all over the place, whether it was House races, whether it was Senate races. And that does bring in the Trump factor in all of this. And the Republican Party has been living paralyzed by Donald Trump. Uh, when Trump moves, then, then quote, the, the, the body follows. Well, Donald Trump has never had more than 35% of a hardcore support inside the Republican voting circles. Now, that is significant. And it is, in, in, in Trump's own words, it is a movement. But what we see, it is not a movement that is sufficient to move anything other than a Republican base. It does not automatically translate to winning anybody else. Mm -hmm. And you can't win most elections that are general elections with 35% of the vote. Now, with this, Dave, if, if my memory serves me correctly, and I think I'm right on this, in 2016, Trump won Pennsylvania, did he not? Yes, Trump won Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan by the, by the razor-thin margin of about 10 
thousand votes. And ever since Republicans have pretended that was a landslide. No, what that was, was Donald Trump was not Hillary Clinton. And people in Pennsylvania aren't stupid. They didn't want Hillary Clinton again. All right. So that brings up my question then that I'd like to ask you when, you know, I go back to the 2008 election of Barack Obama and there's a friend I have that's from Orlando and he's black and he made the statement uh, after the fact. He said, I voted. He said, I'm guilty. I voted for President Obama on the mere basis of the color of his skin. And he said, uh, afterwards, we saw the policies that came from President Obama, and he, I don't think those policies were really great surprises, but he said, I learned that my voting for uh, the color of a skin was wrong. I should never have done that. And he repented of, of having that uh, tendency. So now we have, what I'm hearing you say is we have Pennsylvania who they're suffering from high prices. They're suffering from the same inflation as what we are in Florida. Why would people continue to vote for the, uh, the color of their party blue when they're suffering from the same kind of things that everyone else in the country? Why would Pennsylvania continue to put in someone like Fetterman uh, and, and unless your your point is is well made about about Dr. Oz, but why well, why do people vote for p- policies that are known to bring inflation? Well, there's about five questions in there, and I want to tell sorry. your friend who felt that's all right. They're, 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 and they're all great ones. They're, they're, the 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 um the, the point though that I think is going to stick in listeners' minds is the person basically saying that he felt badly for voting for Barack Obama. Um, You know, I'm going to say this statistically speaking, and I want to be careful to be heard. uh, Of course, lots of black people voted for Barack Obama because he was black, and this was the first opportunity to vote for a black president of the United States. That is a big deal. But black voters didn't make Barack Obama president. White voters made Barack Obama president, and the numbers prove that. There were a lot more white people that voted for Barack Obama for the very same reason that that gentleman voted for Barack Obama and made him president of the United States. And that motivation is not evil. It's a significant reality. And I'm glad that Americans have the ability to look past race and vote for a candidate. Now, I will also tell you that Barack Obama was a far better candidate, ran a far better campaign, and and he deser- and worked a thousand times more effectively than the Republican counterparts. I don't like a single thing that Barack Obama stands for. Right. I have fought his policies and philosophies ever since he appeared on the scene. But let's give credit where credit is due. They earned that election. They won that race. They beat the Republicans who did not know how to counter this moment in history. So th- that's that's history. We've been through that. Now, there's a difference between talking about policy and, and history and elections, but it brings the biggest point of all to this, Mike. As people, we are addicted to the presidency. We treat the presidency like it's our chance to write a national movie script and create the happy ending that we hope for. We are addicted to the White House. We are addicted to the notion that we have presidential saviors that they're going to ride over the horizon and they're going to fix everything. And what the, the real people who understand government know is presidents come and go, Congress lasts forever. Our problem is we lose our focus on the real governing reality of Congress. That's why presidents can't flick, fix inflation. They can only cheerlead about it. And they've been doing that since Gerald Ford created whip inflation now. You can't fix inflation from the White House. You fix it from the Congress that we go chasing after the presidency, we forget about the Congress, and Congress ends up spending $6 trillion a year of our money, most of which they don't have. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a, a meme that was uh, so great. He said uh, the meme went on pointing to Biden, uh, President Biden, and it said this, it said we should uh, not be considered about how uh, they're spending 
their money, we should be looking why they're spending our money. And it was Congress that's doing that, not the president. And you're right. So these votes that are coming out from both houses of Congress over the past couple of years have been so very painful, guided, obviously, by uh, President Biden, who is, uh, whether he is the cause or whether he's just uh, a, a factor, uh, you know, that's another debate. But the point of it is, is they're spending our money readily, and they did so from day one of the Biden administration with trillions of dollars now that's gone into the fire of inflation, and here we are with all of that. So Well, and they couldn't have done that, Mike, unless the Republicans had helped them do it. Yeah. And they did help them do it. Wow. Well, this is going to now uh, go down to uh, the next couple of weeks as we see what uh, will actually shake down. We've got just enough time in this segment, Dave. If you can address uh, the Senate seat in uh, Georgia for a moment, what do you see happening right there? Well, neither candidate got 50 percent. And for most of the night, it looked like uh, Walker was going to win. And now Senator Warnock has has, uh, pulled out in the majority of votes, but neither has 50 percent. So they go to a runoff. I would like to be optimistic on Herschel Walker's part and say, uh, gee, I, I, I think in a runoff with that 2% libertarian vote out of there that, that, that uh, Herschel Walker will win. But the last time we saw this happen, not only did the Republicans lose one Senate seat, they, they lost, lost both seats yeah. in a runoff because people basically said, it's too much bother for me to go vote one more time. And they just, they're angry at the process. And you know what? The people in Georgia should change the runoff rule. It's a stupid rule. It's a really stupid rule. Mm -hmm. But they did it to themselves. Now they don't want to be responsible for what they did. Uh, But now they've got to go vote again. And uh, chances are most likely uh, that Warnock will win because Republicans don't like to go back and show up place for runoffs. That's the history. I didn't say it. I'm not happy about it. But that's, that's what history has proven. Now, it'd be interesting and refreshing to see that change. But we'll have to see the law come down to turn up. All right, Dave Zanotti from the Public Square. We've got a break before us right now. We'll be back in a moment with Dave right here on The Shepherd. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407-965-4166 now or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. What a chat with Dave Zanotti that I've been having here. If you've just tuned in, uh, Dave was with me a couple of days ago and we talked about the, uh, the midterm elections Dave made what I thought were some profoundly, uh, I use the word risky, okay, let's go with that, to say that ahead of an election, that when 1030 came, the the night of the election, that we would not know the outcome of the Senate. Uh, Not only was he spot on correct with that, but uh, the next morning came, and we don't know the outcome of the House. So all of your thoughts, all of your predictions, Dave, from my standpoint, uh, you stand as a great uh, student of culture. You stand as a great expert on American policy. But now I've got to add one more thing to you, my man. You're a great caller of the game. I don't know how you did it, but you did it well, man. (laughs) Well, first off, thank you. But I I serve with a team of people. This is our 44th year uh, my my personal 44th election cycle it's uh it, 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 or the 44th year it is the 22nd election cycle we've been through um we've been doing this for a long time i serve with a great team of people on election night we are all open mic so to speak with one another across a number of radio networks and we analyze this stuff because it truly truly matters 
We do it from a nonpartisan point of view with iVoters.com. We pay attention to the numbers and we try to tell the truth. We call balls and strikes on this stuff. And, and that's not that we don't have opinions or hopes or wishes because we have our favorites too, but that's personal. That's how we go behind the curtain on, on polling day. The rest of the time as an organization, our goal is the restoration of the first principles of American government so that we can have liberty under law. And this system is such a great system and elections are so important and they can sometimes be so disappointing because we want things done quickly and we want them done once and for all and move on with our lives. That's human nature, but there is a reality we are surrounded with, and that's that to have the freedom we have built upon the consent of the governed, we're going to have elections every two years because if we don't give people the right to buy into this process on a regular basis and express their opinion, then we will have great discord and factions and violence because you can't have a country this big with this much freedom and not have everybody feel like they have a share in the game and an opportunity to speak mm -hmm. their mind. That's why we do this, Mike. It's called the consent of the governed, and it works. It's a biblical principle, and it is important. And this is why political parties, while they do serve some, some, some purpose, by and large, if they move to the place where they are in control of the Congress, in other words, American voters right now don't control Congress. The leaders of the po political parties control Congress. That's why they're so comfortable always. That's why they're so well-dressed and so well-positioned and they move so smoothly through the halls of that building because there are really two forms of the party, Mike. There's two Republicanisms. There's a Republicanism that's out here in the marketplace, which is about issues and personalities. Then there's a Republicanism inside the beltway, inside the Capitol, where the leaders sit down and constantly work on a $6 trillion annual budget that gets divided up among the administrative state bureaucracies and the people who provide services to our government. Mm -hmm. Those people are the ones who get taken care of first. You know, when and we, they're the ones who fund the political process. Right. You know, when we look at that, and I think that's proven when you go back in history, not that far back in history either, with John Boehner's leadership for years in the Republican Party. And remember that there was a time that we had all three with Trump. We had all three uh, of the uh, houses uh, basically on, on the Republican side. And you know what? That was not the end of all problems, was it? It was not the, the fix-it. Very well said. This notion of who controls Congress is a bad set of verbiage. You know, the Scripture tells us we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, and which is our reasonable act of worship, and that we are not to conform to the spirit of this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is a totality of transformational thinking. It isn't just spiritual stuff. It's everything in life, every relationship, every arena of life. We should be walking forth with the light of Christ and the thought and mind of Christ and to be careful to be conformed to the spirit of the age. Some people act as if politics fixes everything. That's not biblical. Mm -hmm. Some people act as if politics can fix nothing. That's not biblical. Now, to understand what is a true biblical approach of, and a historical accurate approach takes work. I don't blame people for not wanting to do the work. It's one of the reasons the American Policy Roundtable in the public square exists, because we agreed as a mission work, we'd do all we could and then give everybody the, the cheat sheets. We'd give you the cliff notes as best we could. All right, no, you don't have to be an expert in public policy, but you gotta understand that every two years you get to pick the people who divide up that $6 trillion budget. Every two years. And if you ignore them for 10 years, you know what they're going to do? They're going to ignore you and only pay attention to the big corporations that make giant contributions to the political parties who then take care of the candidates, who then take care of the people who made the contributions. And that's what's happening inside the Beltway. And then they'll come out here, out here and talk to you about abortion and education and inflation. But the truth is, the actions happening 
completely behind closed doors and you're not invited. Mm -hmm. Now, we've heard you say a number of times, Dave, that elections bring consequences. This election is certainly going to do that. What are the main consequences that you see coming from this midterm election? Oh, man, that's a that's like, whoo, you just threw me. This is home run derby now. That, that one's right over the center of the plate. It's so good I'm liable to swing and miss three times. Um, there are consequences everywhere. There's consequences, first off, in regards to the next election. People need to realize that most conservatives and Republicans will walk away mad and not come back until 60 days before the next election. And by doing that, the Democrats will go ahead and find all kinds of great candidates to secure the, the, the gains that they already have in the House and to make sure that they lose as few seats as possible in 2024 in the House. But here's something people don't realize. There are only of the 32 seats that are coming up for the Senate in just two years, only 10 of them are incumbent Republicans. The Democrats have two thirds of the exposure on potentially losing Senate seats in 2024. Mm -hmm. Now, what normally happens is the conservatives and Republicans go away mad because they didn't want to get what they want in a hurry. And then they come back too late to realize, oh, gosh, we could have gained five more seats in the in the Senate this time, but we weren't paying attention. And, oh, golly, we didn't care who ran. We didn't pay attention. And now, oh, my goodness, they're going to win again. You see what happens? But the Democrats never stop working. The administrative state never stops working. They get the first dollar from every one of our paychecks and they work seven days a week. You see, we're in the fight of our lives as a republic and only one team is playing like it really matters. Wow. The rest of us are gonna run around consequentially thinking, is Donald Trump now the answer or the problem? That's another consequence from what happened. Now we've gotta evaluate the whole Trump factor because suddenly it looks like there's some missing pieces in the Trump train. It looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, uh, going back to this thing about consequences for a, just one more moment, if people in Georgia, let's go back to Georgia for just a moment. If people in Georgia have not forgotten what happened two years ago in that general election when consequences became front page news and front burner on the oven, uh, as a result of both houses uh, of both uh, candidates, rather going to the House of the Democrats, and that tipped the scale and made it a majority. Uh, now we're looking at the very potential same scenario. If all the other races uh, stay b blue, and now we're up to Georgia with a special election, uh, will Georgia have learned from the consequences of two years ago? Well, let me tell you the bigger question, Mike. Uh, and because I can't answer that one. It's a, it's a correct question. It's almost rhetorical. It's the right question. Let me tell you the bigger question. This country should never come down to a single Senate race determining who controls all public policy for our country. The parties That's good. are too powerful. This should never come down to this. To think that we are going to, in 30 days, Unleash that kind of a significance on a single Senate seat is not the way this country was designed to operate. We have been driven here by putting too much trust in political parties. Now, we have to get through this. It's not going to be a reform movement that's going to happen in two days or two weeks. I, I, this, this goes beyond our lifetimes, but we need to remember these moments and realize there's something wrong with the idea that suddenly... Everyone in America is going to create a, a political dog pile in Georgia, and we're going to fight out all of our issues between these two gentlemen, neither of whom has, has, should be forced to carry that burden. That seat should never carry that much weight. That is nonsense. It shouldn't be this way. Mm -hmm. But this, the, the, quote, control of the Senate will hinge there but it will only be there for 24 months. So what will happen? I cannot say. I know that the way it's going is going to doom our liberties if we don't change this process. And how do we change it? We roll back the power of the parties by electing people from our districts and our state and tell them, go serve us, not them. And as soon as you stop serving us, not them, 
we're bringing you home again. Now, by the time we have 20 people in the Senate who believe that, who are free agents, they can be a part of a party, but they've got to put principle over party. By the time you have 50 people in the House that truly believe that, we will have changed this system. But we have to come to terms and repent with the error that we've created and then do the right thing. We've got a couple of minutes left. I have a question for you about Florida. We saw what happened last night, uh, a surprising gain in South Florida. Uh, The Hispanic vote, the black vote has gone in a surprising way to a lot of people toward Ron DeSantis. And we also know that President Trump made a day before the midterm election announcement that he's making a big announcement in a week. So that that uh, little bit of uh, news broke right before the midterms. Now that all the dust is starting at least to settle, it's not settled yet, but it's starting to uh, settle as to actually what happened on the midterms. Uh, will will what happened change the trajectory of uh, Trump's announcement in one week? Nobody can know for sure what's happening inside that camp. We have no access, never have. Um, and I don't know anyone that, well, I can't say I don't know anyone who does, but I don't know anyone that has access into the internal thinking processes mm-hmm. of that camp. So we should be praying for all of those folks okay, and, and praying for God's mercy and God's grace, because there's many things that will or will not happen. But this much, Mike, I can tell you, we cannot afford a presidential campaign built on vengeance. We cannot afford a presidential campaign from any party or any candidate. That is, and I told you so, that is built on, I'm now going to get even. You know, I heard Donald Trump say from the platform of Liberty University that he believes a, pr- a key principle of leadership is getting even. Mike, that's wrong. Wow. That's wrong. Biblically, yeah. we cannot embrace that or else we are doomed because Jesus said, unless you forgive, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. That's the end statement on the Lord's Prayer. And that's so we well have to said. Be thoughtful about this. Yeah. God have mercy. It is a time to continue to pray like never before. It's certainly a, a day that we've looked at uh, victories done for people who are standing for positive things. And I, I'm grateful for the, those areas where that happened. But thank you for your analysis once again, my friend. And I know you've got a busy day of interviews coming up and all around the country. God bless you and the fine folks at American Policy Roundtable once again. And thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Mike. Dave Zanotti, my guest, and friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.